Why don't you take your seats? We're going to um, uh, welcome Carl uh, Beach to the stage. And uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Carl, first of all, shame on you. Um, but uh, <laughs> second, yep, uh, Carl is the deputy CEO of the Edge Trust, which is a national CEO and CEO. There you go, yeah, CEO. Demoted already. Uh, National Evangelistic Outreach Project. He's also an author, president of uh, Christian Vision for Men, co-founder, leader of Redeemer King Church in Chesterfield. It's such a privilege to have uh, Carl with us. I'm going to pray, and Carl's just going to take us through the word. Yeah? All right. Father, we thank you for Carl, who's going to read to us and preach your word to us today. Give him focus and freedom, passion and pacing faithfulness to the text and joy in Christ. By your spirit, Father, open us to your word that we may know you better. May the gospel come with convicting and humbling power, with gladdening and transforming grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Morning, everybody. Uh, Good to be with you. Um, Just by way of explanation, I'm a little bit sniffly um, because... I'm 47, and who knew that you could get hay fever in your mid-40s? But, but, for a reason, I go to this Turkish barber. He's, he's actually called Ali, um, every now and again. And he actually is. And he said, um, when I sit in there, he's got a one-liner every time. And this time when, in, when I went in, he said, he said, ah, oh, I'll make you sexy. Take me five minutes. You've got a lot of hair in your nose. And then he put two wax things in and pulled all my hair out, and I've had hay fever ever since. So, um, anyway, um, that's totally irrelevant to Ephesians chapter 2, but it explains why I might sniff down my microphone. Um, at Christmas, I was invited to the Christian Vision for Men um, uh, Christmas dinner, and because I was on a bit of a crusade to lose some weight, I had the sea bass and some vegetables. <laughs> and looked longingly at everyone else's roast dinner. And um, I had one little glass of wine, and I I got a taxi back. To cut a long story short, the taxi driver was clearly a young Muslim. And on the way back, he said to me, there's something different about you. And I thought, it might be me Brute 33. It could be the Aramis. I'm not quite sure. So I said to him, Really? What do you think it is? He went, I don't know. He said, I don't know, man. He said, there's something different about you. So I thought, hmm, I've got two life mottos. One is, nothing ever happened to a bloke who didn't have a go. The second is, let's see if we can get away with it. So I said to him, "Um, I am a Christian. And maybe it's that. And he went, Maybe. Now, at that point, he pulled up into the free car park next to my house, which I regard as my own extension driveway. And it was very useful. And as we pulled up, I said, no, I said, it could be. Maybe, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I, I've followed Jesus Christ since I was 18. And he said, tell me about that. I said to him, well, are you, are you, you're a Muslim, Yeah. He said, yeah, I am. I said, do you pray in the mosque? He said, I do. And I said, and how does that go for you? And he said, well, I say my prayers. He said, I wish, I, I, I just hope and wish that God hears me. And I said to him, 
bearing in mind my motto, let's see if we can get away with it. I said to him, I, I have a relationship with my God. He's called Jesus. I talk to him all the time. I believe he talks to me. At that point, he turned his car off. He said, can we talk about that? And he radioed in. And he said, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be off, off driving for a few minutes. So he said, how did you become a Christian? So I thought, I can't believe this. I'm in. So I thought, I just literally can't believe this. So I said, can I tell you my story of how I met Jesus? He went, yeah. I said, brilliant. So I told him my full testimony, like the, the hybrid version. Yeah, I think everyone should have an elevator pitch. Everyone should have a 10-minute pitch. And then you've got your full five hours. So I thought, I'll go for the elevator one. So I gave him the elevator pitch. And he said to me, I wish I could have something like that in my life. I thought, I cannot. This is like, this is like something you read in a J. John book. So I thought, this is incredible. So, um, so I said to him, you can. So he said, how? I thought, this is, I thought like, is Jeremy Beadle still alive? Is there a camera on me? And um, so, you know, let's see if we can get away with it. I said, I'd love to pray for you. Do you meet the God who made you? The God who made the universe sent his son Jesus. He said, I'd like that. He said, I've got lots of issues in my life. I said, what are they? And he told me. And actually started to weep a little bit when he told me some of the stuff that's going in his life. And I said, well, I'd love to pray for you then. So um, anyway, I said, you know, in the Christian church, what we like to do sometimes is lay a hand on someone. Can I lay a hand on your shoulder? And just so you've got some sense that I'm with you in this as well. And, and he said, that would be good. That's fine. I said, and... And can I, I'm going to pray that God touches you with the power of his Holy Spirit. He said, that'd be good. I thought, I can't believe, I can't believe this. Seriously. So anyway, I laid hands on him. I'm sitting in the back because I like to feel like I'm being chauffeured. So I sat in the back and, and laid, I laid a hand on him and prayed that he'd experienced God. And he sobbed and he wept. Um, anyway, I said, how much is the fare? He said, six quid. So I gave you, mate. Good to be generous, isn't it? Gave me quid, got the change out returner, made sure of that. And, um, and then started to get out of the car. And he got out of the car with me. And he said, I want what you've got in, my, in your life. I want it. How do I get it? So I told him how to commit to Jesus. And in the car park outside my house, this young Muslim taxi driver actually held my hands as he gave his life to Christ. And he wept before Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's just beautiful. And, um, um, and, and I took his details. And I took his name. And I sent a follow-up text. I thought, great. So I planted a church in Chesterfield four and a half years ago. And I think this is the, the Lord's humour, actually, that he actually went to my mate's church and not mine. And I was totally gutted. It's like the Lord saying, it's not about numbers, Carl, in your church. So anyway, what I saw in this guy... And in the exchanges we had later, is that purpose came into his life. I could see, have you ever seen this? When you see someone give their lives to Christ, you see their eyes light up. Sometimes when I preach the gospel, my last year here, we preached the gospel and people gave their lives to Christ and I saw people's faces light up. And I'm preaching the gospel tonight, by the way, to bring your mates. So we're going to do it and we'll see people's faces like if God's so gracious us, you see people's faces change and their countenance change. Because I'll say this, only Jesus Christ can change your life. 
Only the gospel. Do you believe that? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ will change someone's life. Governments can come up with policies. You can have administrative solutions. But the only thing that will change your life is Christ. And the only one who can change your destiny is Jesus Christ. They'll put it out there right now. He's the only one and only he can change the game. I remember the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ, standing on the steps of Emerson Park Evangelical Brethren Chapel on the Ardley Green Road and looking at an old dying shrub on the other side of the road, except I call it a bush, so I can't say shrub properly, so I ripped my top lip off once, and I have a sort of weird list with some words. I was looking at this little bush on the other side of the road and crying. I mean, mate, Bigsy, his name's Alex Biggs, but he had a Y on the end of everyone's name in Essex. I said to him, Bigsy says to me, why are you crying? And I said, they're green. He said, what? I went, the leaves, they're green and everything. He said, what are you talking about? The leaves on the bush, they're green. And do you know what happened? I was seeing the world that God had made for the first time. It's like the veil came off my eyes. Any of you have experienced that? Like you meet Christ and you're seeing the world for the first time, the world that God had made. I remember driving home that night, looking at people, fat people, thin people, black people, white people, and I'm tears streaming down my face thinking, my goodness me, these are God's kids and they don't even know I've got to tell them. My life had changed. Basically what that means is I come alive in Christ. Let's read this passage, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. The Bible explains it so brilliantly. This book, this precious, beautiful book, is God's holy word, isn't it? And every word is precious to us. As you read this, soak this up. Because some of it is quite harsh as well. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead, the Bible says. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world under the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is a strong opening to chapter two. You lived under the rule of Satan and you were deserving the wrath of God. Thankfully, it starts to lift a little bit as we get into verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That's what I saw in the face of that young taxi driver. That's what happened to me when I looked across the road in Hornchurch and saw leaves on trees for the first time. It's called being born again and coming alive in Christ. And many of you here would have experienced that. Some of you are sitting here and you might not have experienced it. Let me tell you this. You can get all kinds of stuff. You can buy stuff that might temporarily make you feel better. But only Jesus Christ will fill you with inexpressible joy. That is a fact. An utter fact. And I'll stake my life on it. And that's what happened when we see this young man came to Christ. And then it says this. He made us alive when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. He loved so much by God. His grace reached out to us. And then it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 1 is absolutely clear. The Bible says that you are dead. And the Greek word is actually a horrible sounding word. The Greek word is nekros. It's basically saying, and it's as ugly as it sounds, you were a corpse. Now, that could sound, I think, offensive if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus. And I get that. It can sound offensive. The gospel can offend because God is saying, essentially, that without Christ and without yielding to him and making him ruler of your life, what the Bible is saying here in verses 1 and 2 particularly and 3, it's without even knowing it, you're following Satan. Without even knowing it. If you're not following Christ, the Bible says... There's no sitting on the fence. You know, before I gave my life to Jesus, I would say things like, I kind of like believe there could be a God. I'm not sure I want to fully go for it. You know, and I kind of think I put God in my back pocket as an insurance policy. You know, like maybe if I get into trouble, I'll pray. Now, my mum and dad aren't Christians, and they weren't Christians obviously when I was growing up, therefore. And my mum was very severely ill once and nearly died. I remember my dad saying to me, all we can do, son, is pray. Isn't it interesting how people who self-describe as atheists can get quite spiritual when the chips are down? I've noticed, I mean, I've been with a lot of people when they're dying over the years as a pastor. Not because I was visiting them. Just the way it is. <laughs> you have to do that, going to hospitals and people are dying. And it's amazing how many people get spiritual towards the end of life when suddenly they're facing the end of things. And almost God can become an insurance policy, but many Christians can live like that. Like, you you do the Christian thing on occasion, but actually God's almost like a cosmic insurance policy. But the Bible's saying there is no fence sitting. You can't be half in, half out. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. And if you're against him, it's saying you're dead. And essentially, Satan's got you. Now, there is a reason why Paul is so blunt. We need to bear in mind that he is writing here to the Ephesians and Ephesus was famous for something it was famous for the worship of the goddess Diana who was a goddess of fertility in Roman times and there's something called the temple of Artemis which I've got a mock up of uh, this picture may come up there we go this was the temple of Artemis and it was absolutely huge it was a standout feature it's 100,000 square feet The 127 pillars of marble, 36 of which were overlaid with gold. Construction began in 360 BC. Uh, The magic arts were widely prevalent. You read that in Acts 19.19, if you want a cross-reference to what was going on in Ephesus. Uh, Someone described it once as a hotbed of every kind of cult and superstition. It was essentially one of the ancient seven wonders If you were a priestess who served in the temple of Artemis, your first two years was a prostitute. They practiced cult sex and cult, like basically temple prostitution, and all their money used to go into the temple for its upkeep. 
So when Paul's saying, you're either for Jesus or you're against him, that was a backdrop. It was a hedonistic, lust, and superstition-driven culture. And Paul called it out. I think, without being a doom and gloom merchant, the same stuff is out there today. People are trying to fill their lives with all kinds of stuff, centered around desire and gratification, the pursuit of pleasure, sometimes at other people's expense. Promiscuity is definitely a thing. Greed and selfishness and the drive for materialism is definitely a thing. And I think what people are trying to do is not being satanic. Actually, what people are trying to do is scratch an itch. This society is so full of pressure. People are medicating, aren't they? People are trying to medicate by filling their lives with other things. I don't know if you've noticed that. Have you noticed it? Like if you drive for materialism and possessions. What I've noticed about acquiring something is, let's say you lusted after a Pulse Boxster S. I don't know why I've used that as an example. Let's say you wanted a Pulse Boxster X. I guarantee you, by the time you got hold of it, within a week or two, you'd be bored. I've got a mate. We, I was cycling in South Africa uh, along the garden route once. And we came to this amazing bungee jump. It's like one of the biggest bungee jumps in the world of this incredible, like, suspension-type bridge over a massive ravine. And my mate wanted to do it. And he said to me, do you want to do this as well, BT? I said, no. Uh, obviously not. Um, I'd much rather be in my hotel room zipping a Perrier, thank you. And um, he did it. And as he did it, he actually held, because this guy has done loads of these things, he actually did it holding a GoPro camera in his hand and filmed his face as he jumped off and bungee jumped. That's quite impressive, isn't it? Do you know what he looked like? <laughs> bored. He actually looked bored. I said, how can you look bored jumping off a, a massive suspension bridge holding a GoPro camera? Do you know why he was bored? Because he's done loads of them before. And it's this thing in human nature called the law of diminishing returns. The more you do something to satisfy yourself, the less you start to satisfy. That's why people get taken down a dark path. Some things will not scratch the itch. The more pleasure you seek from something, the less return you get. That's why some people get addicted. That's why some people end up doing weird things. That's why some people end up doing extremely dark things, which you won't particularly talk about here. I'll tell you this. If you try and fill your life with stuff, and what, this Bible, what the Bible is telling us in this, pas- this passage about gratifying the cravings of our flesh, if you try and fill your life with stuff other than Christ, I guarantee you it will not satisfy my life ambition used to be to join the army, become a millionaire, take up golf, buy a second holiday home, and die. <laughs> that is actually how a lot of people are living their lives. If I could just get my pension like this, if I could just get enough money for that, if I could just get my golf handicap like this, I guarantee you, if you have the privilege of lying in a deathbed and contemplating your life and not dying suddenly, if you have that privilege of thinking about your life, you are not going to be glad that you got that holiday home in Benidorm. You're not going to be glad 
that you got your golf handicap down to six. You're not going to be glad that you've finally nailed that final salary pension. You're not going to be glad that you spend a lot of time collecting fine wine. There is only one thing that will scratch your itch. There is only one person that will satisfy. And you know his name, don't you? What's his name? Jesus Christ. Only he will satisfy. There's a hymn written in 1922 by someone called Lauren Hemel, which says this. And there's this beautiful album back in the day by Michael W. Smith called Worship. He sang this song beautifully. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think even a lot of Christians have no idea how loved they are by their saviour. No idea. And as the Bible says so clearly, it's all grace, you can't earn it, you can't strive for it. It is, his love is, a gift beyond comprehension. I've got an IKEA armchair in my study, I've empty nested. My kids are left. Got to study. It's lovely. <laughs> now, a lot of people struggle when the kids leave home. Me and Karen are like, let's go to Florida, baby. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, we love our kids. But, you know, it's good, isn't it? And the cat just died. And the dog's nearly dead. So we're nearly free. <laughs> so, it's great. We might actually die while we're gone. So, praise the Lord for pets and for freedom. I've got this IKEA armchair. And I found that when I kneel in front of my armchair, I can bury my head, because I'm five foot eight and a half. The half's very important. When I, I bury my head in the armchair like that, I can be in a perfectly comfortable position for a long time of prayer. And I put that worship music on in the background, and I sit in my study late at night, and I'm kneeling before the Lord. Do you know what? The things of earth do go strangely dim. And I feel God's love, and I feel his presence. And sometimes I remind myself, and I recommend you do this, you remind yourself of that moment, if you can recall it, when Jesus became so clear that everything else faded away. Can you remember that moment when your life was filled with inexpressible joy? Mine was the moment I looked at the shrubbery on the other side of the road and saw green leaves on trees. What was yours? That moment when you met Christ. Can you remember it? You need to take yourself back there every now and again. And remember, the source of your life was Christ. And it will refocus you, re-energize you. The second thing I want to say in the last eight minutes or so that I've got, seven minutes, is that there is a purpose too that you were born for. And we read it here in verse 8 and 9. It's grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared us in advance for us to do. I believe that you are not a random accident. You're not a cosmic freak. You might feel like a cosmic freak in the morning. I was up at half five this morning. Felt very freaky. But you're not an accident. And I believe with all my heart, because the Bible says it, if he says it, I believe it, that you were made with a purpose in mind. I believe you have a destiny. But I also believe you have an enemy who wants to snatch us away from you. And I think that is the heart of the first 10 verses here. You, you, you're following Satan if you're not with Jesus. And the reason that Satan wants to blind your eyes 
or knock you off courses. He doesn't want you to fulfill your God-given destiny and purpose. Do you know that? You have an enemy who wants to destroy you and not let you live fully for Christ. And it may be there's some things in your life that are just slightly numbing and blunting you, just slightly knocking you off the narrow path of Matthew 7, because these things will stop you fulfilling your godly purpose. I believe there is something only you can do you are specially made for, and some people strive all their lives to find it. But I think sometimes all we need to do is turn to him and surrender your worldly fleshy hopes and dreams. I had hopes and dreams and ambitions. The day I gave my life to Christ, you know what essentially I was saying? You are now the boss. You are now Lord of my life. And I said to God, the day after I gave my life to Jesus, I actually went down to my dad and said, Dad, I'm not joining the British Army anymore. He was cooking a bit of bacon, six o'clock in the morning. He was a flying squad detective. He said, Dad, I'm not joining the British Army anymore because I met Jesus last night. This is the 23rd of April, 1990, six o'clock in the morning, the day after I gave my life to Jesus. So I'm not joining the British Army now. I met Jesus Christ yesterday. And I'm fighting battles for him now. Do you know what my flying squad detective dad said? He said, you still fancy girls, didn't you, son? That's the main thing. He totally ignored me. I went upstairs. I went upstairs. I sat on the edge of my bed. I thought, I'll call you Muppet. What an idiot. And I had this Bible that this girl, I fancied, she'd given me a Bible. The only reason I went to church was to chat this girl up. She ended up becoming my wife. It's like a cosmic ambush. She's the one that I'm going to go to Florida with, ladies and gentlemen. So um, my childhood sweetheart. She wouldn't go out with me until I became a Christian. I tried to fake a conversion and everything. But she actually wrote, she wrote in this first Bible that I ever got given, apart from the Gideon's one at 12. This is another story. She actually wrote, I love you, Carl, and I always will. I've kept that Bible to this day on myself. Not out of sentiment. If you ever have a row, I'll produce it. It says, you, you, you wrote this uh, first ever Bible. <laughs> I'm, I'm using the Bible as a weapon in my marriage. <laughs> It's still working, though, years on. She always melts when she sees it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Forgetting all his benefits. Anyway, um, the devil wants to snatch it away. He wants to snatch everything away from you. But that day I met Jesus, and the day after my dad knocked me, I sat on the edge of my bed, and I prayed a godly prayer. I said, Lord, I actually, and he's never forgotten his prayer. I said, I'll go wherever you tell me to go, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do, no matter what through tears and I meant it and I surrendered all my worldly ambitions at that moment all the things that I wanted to do my bucket list that I had at age 18 I said I'm yours now God and do you know what I don't even get why I'm standing on this platform this morning sometimes I don't get why we've got to do what we've done and some of the people that we've met and some of the glorious things we've seen God do and some of the tough things we've seen as well and hard years we've been through I was just a bloke from Romford. Actually, I was born in Dagenham. Doesn't sound as glamorous as Romford, does it? We prefer to say Darzenham, to be honest with you. <laughs> but what I did do was put God first. My master and commander, my, my captain, my brother, Jesus Christ. And I gave my worldly ambitions and hopes and dreams to him. And I stepped into everything that God had for me. I got a letter the other day. I'll, I'll finish with this, then we're going to pray. I had a letter from a guy the other day, just as I was thinking about this message. You know, sometimes you, you commit your life to Christ and you try and follow him, and you think, what was all that about? That was so hard. 
things have not always been easy. But then this guy wrote to me and he said, Hi, Carl, you won't remember me. And I couldn't at first. He said, but I just felt the need to drop you an email to say the words you spoke to me when you visited St Mary's Watford in late 2007 was spot on. 2007. Those was a tough year. I was dithering about whether to go to Indonesia with my wife Eileen and my youngest daughter Megan to help tackle the illegal logging there. You said, and I paraphrase, it's all right, Andy. I think this is right. I think this is the right thing to do. I believe this could be from God. It's always good to add a, it might be. It might be. Because then I read on, it said, the next line was, it was awful. I thought, oh no. I gave someone what I felt was a sense of God and basically I could have destroyed his life. But then he said, you had no real work, family life was tough, except he goes into some personal things. But then he says this, it took nine years, not three years, for my contract. But what I was sent out to do, we achieved in the end of 2016 when Indonesia became the first country in the world to meet the standards set up by the European Union for legal timber. We saved an area bigger than the UK. We boosted exports from Indonesia by $100 million a year. We brought in more jobs, more income. It took nine years, but there's been massive environmental and social benefits too. And in 2019, I got an, an honours in the Queen's birthday list. Glory be to God. I just want you to know that in the tough times, I was strengthened by the fact that God essentially is releasing me into my purpose. Who knew that God could have someone who is a timber expert and forestry expert and change the whole course of a nation's logging industry because it was God's purpose for his life. And he laid down what was his dream and he sucked up the pressure and he took the hit. And he did that. He was there for nine years and finally at the end of it, he achieved the game. He achieved the target and then got some medal from the Queen to, to honour his work. That's what happens when someone lays down their own self-interest and steps into everything that God has for them. And I'll finish by saying this. I believe there will be people here this morning whose worldly ambitions are clouding God's dream and destiny for your life. Some of you may have had a dream or something they wanted to do for Jesus but you got hurt and you let it go. Some of you have been Clarifying actually the flesh nature when God's been calling you, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? And some of you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting there thinking, I've not stepped into my purpose. And what we're going to do is this I'm going to get off the deck now and hand over to the worship guys. I'm simply going to say this let's stand together. Let's stand now if you're able. And if you want to say to God this morning as you worship, Oh God, I so want to step into your purposes. I don't want to gratify the nature of my flesh. I actually want to step into the destiny, the unique plan that you have. I want to know what the unique plan is for my life. Would you just come forward and would you kneel in this space at the front? Just come forward from wherever you are and just give it some teeth and say, God, here am I. Let's come now. You say, here am I, God. I'm just going to kneel before you. I so need to step into your purposes. I need to pick up what you had for me. It's from all over the place. If you feel that God's calling you to step into his purposes, to not gratify the desires of the flesh, but God, I'm here for you. Just kneel before him. And maybe the prayer team just quietly go around and just lay a hand or just quietly drop a prayer over you. Say, God, bless this person. Let's use this as a, a divine moment to say to God, give some teeth to it. Here I am, God, just me. I want to go your way and not my own. Jesus' name. Amen.